Israel. This is a great place to start, and we're going to see a projection and an absolute 100%, I think, is a very fascinating, um, it's a fascinating pattern to how the book of Psalms regards Israel. We're going to see a lot of different applications this morning, and this is an extension of the Wednesday night prayer meeting, where we also, that we began Wednesday night prayer meeting entitled Prayer for Israel. So this morning we're going to continue into that, and we're going to start with Isaiah chapter 49, verses 1 through 3. Why is Israel, why is Israel so important, and what, what, is, what is it that the Lord is trying to teach us here? And then when we go out of here, we're all going to go to the book of Psalms, and we're going to be reading a lot of verses in Psalms, and I'll show you why this morning. So anyway, let's go. Pastor um, Britton already prayed. So Isaiah chapter 49, what, do you, what can you glean from what's being said in these first three verses that leads us into this? Listen, O isles, unto me, and hearken ye people from afar. The Lord hath called me from the womb. From the bowels of my mother hath he made mention of my name. And he hath made my mouth like a sharp sword in the shadow of his hand, that he hid me, and made me a polished shaft in his quiver hath he hid me. And said unto me, Thou art my servant, O Israel, in whom I will be glorified. Who is that? Who is being called Israel here? Not Jacob, not the God of our fathers, not Abraham, Isaac, or Jacob. Jacob was the one called Israel. Who is he talking about? Who is Isaiah? Who is he referring to? Yes, this is a messianic prophecy. Christ himself is being referred to as Israel. Can you see how important Israel is now? I think this is a tremendous opening. We see in Genesis chapter 32, verse 28. And you don't have to turn to that. I'd rather you all just go right to Psalms and get ready, because we're going to be firing up the book of Psalms. Genesis 32, 28 says, And he said, Thy name shall be called no more Jacob, but Israel, for as a prince hath power with God, with men, and hath prevailed. And here we see the opening, very first word, the very first time Israel is presented in Scripture. And what's important about the, the, the translation of Scripture that we used this morning it's important that we have the King James Version because it's the oldest text. It goes all the way back to the original translation. And we are going to see the authenticity of the words here. And we are going to see that in Scripture, we're not going to read all these verses, of course. Guess how many times the word Israel shows up in Scripture? Now, Pastor Britton has a wonderful way of always opening up here telling us how many words are in the Bible, how many letters are in the Bible. He's got it down pat. He really knows it. How many times does the word Israel show up in the 66 books of the King James Bible? Nobody can know that. I never knew it, so I'm not going to act like I know anything. And I know you hear a lot of pastors get up and they preach and they always say, well, this word shows up so many times in the Bible. And, all, and that's a great thing. 2,294 times Israel shows up in Scripture. Just, just in Psalms alone, no less than 60 times does the word Israel, the nation, the, 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 the country of Israel, show up. Talk about what we, we've been talking about for many, many years, Hebraisms in the Bible. How many times do we see names mentioned twice? All throughout Scripture, we see names mentioned twice to give it a superlative, a higher degree of absolute understanding for us to have an application there. Like Abraham, Abraham, take the knife from my hand. Solomon, Solomon, Absalom, Absalom, my son. Moses, Moses, take the, take the shoes off your feet from where you're, where you're worshiping is holy ground. All throughout Scripture. But when you see a word that's mentioned so many times in Scripture, I think it gives us a real understanding why Israel is so hated today. I think it really does. It shows why we have even people in areas of our country actually chanting and yelling for Hamas and, and Lord preserve Pakistan. And we'll talk about that a little bit later. But this is Christ's nation. He is referred to as Israel. We see here the preservation. God, the formation of the Exodus in Exodus 1-7. And the children of Israel were fruitful and increased abundantly and multiplied and waxed exceeding mighty. And the land was filled with them. 
and then God will deliver Israel. You go into Exodus 3, verses 9 and, uh, 9 and 10. Now therefore, behold, the cry of the children of Israel has come unto me, and I have also seen the oppression wherewith the Egyptians oppressed them. In verse 10, Come now therefore, and I will send thee unto Pharaoh, that thou mayest bring forth my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. And the Lord had promised that before. He promised that during the deliverance, and then He spoke about it all throughout Scripture and took His people, even the Gentiles, back to the deliverance of Egypt and showed how He loved Israel and brought them out of the Exodus. Remember that? All throughout Scripture. Remember the, remember the, the, the beautiful sermon that Stephen gave right before he was stoned by the wicked Jews that hated him. And he spoke about that deliverance. And I believe that, was in, that would have been in, in Acts chapter 7. And so here we see the deliverance, that Israel is delivered. Then we see Israel is victorious in Isaiah 7 verse... I'm sorry, 1 Samuel 7.10, And as Samuel was offering up the burnt offering, the Philistines drew near to battle against Israel... But the Lord thundered with a great thunder on that day upon the Philistines and discomfited them, and they were smitten before Israel. How many times did the Lord tell commanders and generals, men like David and kings, I have already delivered the Philistines into your hands. I have already delivered the Amalekites into your hands, the Amorites. Just go fight them. It's already done. You can go do whatever you want, but you go fight them and listen to me. I've already delivered them into your hands. Gideon, remember... How Gideon had the had, had the uh, had the um, um, what, what was what was the name? Who was he fighting against? Oh, it'll come to me. But anyway, he reduced his men from thirty thousand down to three hundred men, and he fought and he won, divided the armies, and the Lord had said, "I've already given them into your hands." Over and over and over again, we see this. So here we go, and we see how Israel is victorious. And I guess I, I really should read this verse, these verses also. Isaiah 7, 10, and then 11. And the men of Israel went out of Mizpah and pursued the Philistines and smote them until they came unto Bethkar. So the Philistines were subdued and they came no more into the coast of Israel. And the hand of the Lord was against the Philistines all the days of Samuel. And the cities which the Philistines had taken from Israel were restored to Israel from Ekron, even unto Gath. And the coast thereof did Israel deliver out of the hands of the Philistines, and there was peace between Israel and in the Amorites. So we know that actually Gideon was going up against Moab. That's who, that's who he was going up against, and he, and he won. And how here we see here, David's army was never defeated. So what is, this, what is this special connection with Israel? What do you think some of the components of the love of Israel that God had for Israel, if you think about... When Jacob was called Israel, you think about the deliverance and the exodus. You think about how the Lord guided them. How did he guide them? You're going to see a pattern here that I find fascinating. If we turn to the book of Psalms, you actually don't see the very first word, the very first time Israel is presented until you get to Psalm chapter 14, verse 7. Now, we have several verses. There is a pattern just with the word Israel, in all of the book of Psalms, you can actually outline different applications just by looking up the word Israel from the concordance, reading all the verses, and you can come up with a progression there. And I find it fascinating. If you go to Psalm, we're going to start with Psalm chapter 14, verse 7. And I'm going to start to the right, and we're going to go through and read as many verses as we can. And then we're going to look at the very first, it's like one of four main applications in the book of Psalm. Psalm 14.7. Okay, we're going to start there. Matthew, could you read Psalm 14.7? And then Bev, you can read Psalm 22.3 and 23 as soon as he's finished. And then we're going to look at the very first application as we read. Go ahead. Okay, that's the first time you see the name, the nation of Israel in the book of Psalms. And Bever, if you could do Psalm 22, verses 3, and then skip over to 23. Twenty-three. 
Excellent. Thank you, Matthew, and thank you, Beverly. Look at the first part. If you break this into like four, maybe five sections, I think it's like four sections. The very first time the word Israel is used in the first sections of Psalms in several chapters all wrap around the praises of God from Israel. First, it shows praising His name. And then actually it gets, we move forward and there's some different applications. There are many other verses. Here we have Psalm chapter 25, 22. Uh, Deb, if you could read Psalm 25, 22. And Elder Ed, Psalm 41, verse 13. Uh huh. And then Psalm 41, 13. And there's several other verses, and we're going to read some of those. All these verses, just look at the word Israel in the first several chapters in the book of Psalms deal with God's presence with Israel and the praise for God from Israel. Psalm chapter 50, verse 7. How about Dave? And then uh, Brother Charlie. Then Psalm 53, verse 6. And then Psalm 53, 6, Charlie. And Teresa, Psalm 59, verse 5, when Charlie's finished. Psalm 59 5. Mm -hmm. Amen. And so thus far, we see in chapter 14, verse 7, O that Israel were come out of Zion. Thou art holy, thou that inhabitest the praises of Israel. Praise him. In chapter 22, 23, as Bev read, redeem Israel. Psalm 25, 22. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel from everlasting to everlasting. And we see these are all praises. And all of these applications, we sing them when we're singing them in the Psalter. How we praise the name of the Lord. Even with the hymns that we sing, look at the Trisagion, where we sing holy, 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 and that's a Hebraism into the third degree. Three times we hear holy, 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 how holy and wonderful God is. And we see this book of Psalms, by just the very word Israel, opens up the first application to praising His name. Praising Him because He's the God of Israel. Do you see any other nation that is being taught this? That's, that is being said? Do we see that praise the name of Syria? Praise the name of, of, the, of the, the land of the Philistines? Praise the name of Caesarea or Pakistan or Gaza? We don't see any of that. We say praise the name of Israel. What are some of the things that have happened that, that, have, that, have, uh, that have concerned you this week over what we've seen? I can tell you what, what, what's concerned me, but what about you? Why don't you have, have a voice in this and speak? What are some of the things you've seen on the news? Have you heard about what's, real, what's going on over there? Marianne. Yes. Well, you've stretched that. You, you hit that nail right on the head. That's fantastic. Exactly, the indoctrination. We were a nation at one point that never would have cried out against Israel, would have never blasphemed and sat there and, 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 and basically trifled with people being murdered in horrible ways. And then there's Matt. Go ahead, Matt. That's right. So far this week, Harvard University, the 60th richest man in the world who is in, his from Israel, he's worth over $60 billion, is an executive chairman on the board of the Kennedy Center of Harvard University, and he backed out because of the words that he heard saying against the Israelite people and what they were talking about, praising Pakistan because Israel is a genocide nation and they all need to be killed. He backed out and he will not support them anymore, and he stepped down from the chair as the executive 
on there and he said, no, I'm not going to fund Harvard anymore and I should have never been doing it in the first place. That's just one. Washington University, they were all out in the streets with Pakistan flags shouting the name of Hamas. Now, a professor goes outside in, in another university. I don't remember this one, so I can't tell you. I can't remember so many of them. There were so many of them, it's hard to keep them. It, it's hard, it was hard to really process it. He's standing out there and he's protesting Israel out in the street. Out, he's a professor of this one particular student. And he's out in front of the college. And this young Israeli girl from Jordan or whatever, she comes up and she starts bawling her eyes out. Why do you want to kill me and my family? You're supporting all of this. And she's bawling her eyes, screaming and crying at him, her professor. And he just stands there with a heart of stone. Wouldn't even, he wouldn't even respond or look at her with any compassion. I just saw this on Friday. It was a horrible thing to watch. Matthew and then Teresa. Exactly. I mean, they, they, they like to twist that wax nose and make it look how they ever wanted, want, want to make it. Teresa? Well, the president never acknowledged Iran in the fact that, you know, well, he said that Iran was They found it. Yeah, the artillery. The, yes. The weaponry, the, uh, all, the ammunition. They found it in Gaza, and they're using that basically. And they say they're going to use the very things that we left over there, 83 billion, are going to be eventually used against us. Right. And this isn't conspiracy theories. These are facts. Everybody knows them. Marianne. Right. Yeah. They all that stuff over in Yes. Somebody got paid off, right? Yeah. Maybe it started even before that. Fred, go ahead. What about uh, a former president, which neither one of these men should have ever even been presidents of anything? for eight years, giving $6 billion in cash on a plane and sent it over Iran. Maybe it started there, maybe before that. I mean, this is, this is very serious. But the Lord tells us things. He shows us things. Beverly. That's a loaded question. You wanted it? That's probably the best question to ask this morning. Right. Well, here's a bigger question that, that, that really, this will bring it out what you're asking. What is the legislation over in Pakistan for sodomites? There's three ways they take care of them. And they don't give them trials, by the way. They had no due process. They're literally supporting, Beverly's asking a good question, they're supporting a very country that burns, drowns, and beheads sodomites. These very woke liberal professors are all for that. They've got rainbows all over the place. And that's the legislation. Marianne. Right. I was going to hold back on this next statement because it's, and I don't want to get too graphic, but I'll tell you the worst thing I've heard so far. It's not the worst detail thing. I don't want to go there. There's some things that are just hard to mention. But they interviewed a man. They interviewed a man, and the, the, news, the news reporter, it was Greta Van Suster. Now, she's really become very conservative. And she said at the end of her show the other night, she said, watch this man. That's all she said. She had to hold the tears back. A man over in Israel, his daughter's eight years old, precious little daughter, beautiful little girl. She goes to a birthday party over in Israel. He moved over there. 
100 people got kidnapped in the area, lost his daughter. And you know, he was crying and he said, I am so thankful that the Lord had her killed. He said, that's the best I could hope for, because if they'd have taken her into Gaza, what they're doing to little girls over there, I can't even explain it. Not just women, little girls. And what they found, I, that's the detail I can't go into. What they found over there, these people are so barbaric, you can't even, your brain can't process how bad they are or how bad they're going to get or what's worse things they can do. And so basically, why are we grounded as Christians? Why are we rooted into to the protection of Israel? Going back to Beverly's question, why is it that these professors are doing this? I think that there is a greater, in my opinion, Correct me if I'm wrong, we're here to discuss this. There is a greater objective, even above the fact that if they were to take the sodomites over there and execute them without due process, which is what they do, they would still cry out the name of Hamas because they know that Israel has a connection to God. Israel has a connection to Jehovah who has given his people a standard and a law to live by and it's a moral compass, it's a moral foundation, it's a standard that as Christians, we these are not ten suggestions, right? These are commandments. They're not ten insinuations. And although they love the protection of a few of them, they hate them and they don't even want them anywhere in their colleges. They don't want them. Israel has always been a connection. This always brings me back to Psalm chapter 2, verse 2. Let us break their bands asunder. Let us cast their cords from us. But he that sitteth in the heavens shall laugh. What does it mean? What does that verse mean? Somebody look up Psalm. Well, we're in Psalms. We're going to go forward. I'm hoping we could get through this, but I don't know that we will. Psalm chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. Please read that. Someone just sing it out. My, my favorite, one of my favorite chapters in the whole of Scripture. Read verse All right, that's good. Thank you. I, I, I'd like to continue to just keep on reading through. What does it mean, let us cast their cords from us? Does anybody have any idea what that means? It's like a baby. has an umbilical cord. Cut that cord. Sever that baby from it. That's what proves that that baby is not that woman's body. <laughs> cast the cords from us. What that verse says, and David says, which I believe Psalm 1 and 2 are the pillars, they are the bookends of all of the Psalms, and it brings it all together. Cast the cords from us. We don't want any strings connected to Jehovah. None. We don't want anything to do with Him. Nothing. That's what it is. But then we see how the psalmist says in Psalm 73, 18, he comes back and he says, and I entered into the sanctuary of my God, and then understood I their end. This is their end right here. Those that rise up against Israel, the ones that are to praise the name of the Lord, remember, is all of Israel and every Israelite that has ever been born in the Israeli nation, are they given a free ticket to heaven no matter what they do? Israel was not just a nation. It's a substantive people. But more than that, it is a standard. That the people of Israel that worship the Lord, honor God's commandments, would always be considered His children, His people, like the sands of the sea, the stars of the sky, that's the Abrahamic covenant. Don't you love the name of the accord that Donald Trump made with over, over in Israel? The Abraham Accord. What could be more substantive scripturally than that? That's covenantal. Anyway, that's, we're just getting started. Greg? To defend it. Yep. That's why they were created. To keep that. 
Right. That's a great point. To keep that accord that was made in 1948, to keep them a nation, right? Dave brought up something fascinating Wednesday night. Dave, what did you bring up Wednesday night? Let me give you a clue. 600,000. I thought this was fascinating. He brought us... How many people initially came out of before they grew and multiplied? It says in Exodus, we read it in chapter 5. No, Exodus 3. How many people initially came out of the Exodus? Israelites. 600,000 people. How many soldiers right now does Israel have? 600,000. Isn't that interesting? It's like 580,000, some, some odd, you know, give or take, but it's right around that number. Teresa. That'd straighten them out real quick, wouldn't it? <laughs> Wow. They did. And I, they may have it again. They may very well have it again. But that is to defend. The great green brings up a great point. It's to defend that land. And you know, a lot. What, what's very sad about a lot of the Israelites is that they've lost their way and they've lost their true identity with Israel. Why are they really doing this? What is their main objective? And it's to honor the Lord that gave them that land and gave them that country. But we're here, we're in the first phase of Psalms. Dave, go ahead. Very serious. And I maintain that we better be getting them back in our hands because this could get really ugly. Lisa. Well, let's, you know what, you're, you're here, we're all here, let's read two more verses in the first application, and we're going to see a progression, and that plugs right into what Lisa is saying, because, because what happens in this progression, we'll, we'll see basically what happens when the Lord really was very upset with the people and what, they, what His people did to Him. And if you love the Lord, if you know Scripture, you can fully understand why God did what he did and why, how upset that he was when the people turned on him. But basically, why? Why does even, hey, right now Israel has a gay pride month. February. Netanyahu just put in 36 lesbian women into, to, to, in order to meet a quota into his administration. 36. I mean, they're doing horrible things. But why doesn't God obliterate them? Well... You think America's any worse? Why? He's a long-suffering God. We're going to see that. Three more verses from this section. I've got so many more, but we're going to have to go forward. i tell you what, Lisa, Psalm 68, 8, if you could read that. Jenny, could you read um, Psalm 60, no, Lisa, 68, 8, and 26, and Jenny, Psalm 68, 34, and 35. And then we'll go forward from there, and I'll tell you the second application. First application is praises for the God of Israel. Go ahead. Psalm 68, 8, and then Psalm 68, 26. Are you in Psalms? Psalm 68, 8, and 68. All right. Thank you. 
All right, that's 26. Can you go back and read verse 8? That's okay. Amen. And then Jenny, 68 verses 34 and 35. Over and over again, blessed be the God, blessed be his, his power over Israel. Praise his holy name, he's everlasting, he's eternal, and all of this is infiltrated. And how am I finding these verses? I went to the concordance. It's no big deal. It took a while, but went to the concordance. And all I did was I punched in Israel. And every verse that has the word Israel in it, once again, has a pattern to it, I found. First application is the first series of verses going all the way up to Psalm 76.1. This is where it ends. In Judah is God known. His name is great in Israel. That's a praise. Second point, he appoints a law for Israel. He gives them a standard to protect them, a way to love them, a way to show them a standard that if they follow that standard, it'll protect. What did he say? You follow my law. I will bless your people I will bless your marriages. I will bless your children. I will bless your cattle. I will bless your water. Everything you have. You defy me and I'll curse everything all the way down to your fourth and fifth generations. And he, wasn't, he was not kidding, was he? And that's not something to trifle with. Teresa. The law of God. His covenant, his commandments. Exactly. His law. The one that Christ fulfilled. Christ himself is the essence of the law. And that when you hear in the New Testament that this has been abrogated in Christ, the new gospel, if you pull Christ away from the law of God, you've just about separated the Bible right down the middle. You've divided it. You've divided and conquered it like Satan has. You can't conquer it. But that is the absolute objective for Satan is to divide and conquer. You can never conquer God. But that's what a lot of churches today have taken this out and said the Old Testament is abrogated. It's gone. The New Testament, the gospel theology is that Christ died for us. His blood covers all of our sins. We don't have any more responsibility. We're fine. That's basically a compendium of what a lot of churches believe today. And you don't hear a whole lot about the Old Covenants, do you? I'll give you $5 every time this week you turn on the radio arbitrarily and hear somebody describing the Noahic, the Abrahamic, and the Adamic covenant. I'll give you $100. How many times are you going to hear that? You're going to hear it with Joel Austin? No, you might get a teeth whitening intervention. What about Joyce Meyer? I mean, what about some of these other ones? I mean, you'll hear it from R.C. Sproul, you'll hear it from John MacArthur. You can bet your money on that, but you're not going to hear this. Second application is God has appointed a law for Israel. Psalm 78.5. Can let me ask uh, Marianne, could you go to Psalm 78.5? Perfect. Look at that. First two applications. Praises to God. Then, and it's just by following, just tracking the word of Israel. The word Israel all the way through Psalms. I can't say it enough. First application, praises to God. Second one, law of God. Anyone want to guess what the third application is? I just gave it away. Third application, what do you think it is? The defiance of the law. God's wrath against Israel. And that's a whole other section. If you follow these verses, let's go maybe say, uh, uh, Lisey, go ahead. He will forsake you. No. We were reading, Pastor uh, Olst Coleman read this several weeks ago. He was in, in, in reading through the Psalms. I believe it was Pastor Coleman. He's talking about the blood being splattered on the robe of Christ. 
that in the last day you listen to sinners in the hands of an angry God and you'll get a real good sermon about that. How the bow is bent, the arrow is in his fingers and his hand is shaking and it's pointed at the hearts of every human being. It's not a God to trifle with. But it's just as much as he is a serious God in his wrath, he is a serious God in his long suffering, his love for his people. The next thing we see, and it's basically is filtered through Psalm 78, God's wrath against Israel. Lisa, you haven't been able to read yet. Could you read Psalm 78, verses 21, just, just the single verses, not between them. Psalm 78, 21, then jump to 31, then jump to 41. That's the third part. I'm sorry, go ahead. That's just following the word Israel. It takes you into a section of God's wrath. But it doesn't leave you hanging there. You're not left hanging there. What happens next? Remember when John the Beloved, he looks and he peers into heaven and he sees the book and it wasn't opened. And he's thinking, if there's no one to read that book and open up that book, we're all in big trouble. What's he doing? What's he doing while he's looking and there was no one there to open it? He's crying. Thank you, Teresa. He's crying. Then all of a sudden, Christ's train fills the temple and he sees the absolute fruition of the love and the answer of what Christ gives to us. And this is what happens here. Here is the wrath of God. But does the book of Psalms just stop there at Psalm 78, 59? When God heard this, he was wroth and he greatly abhorred Israel. He abhorred him, but he didn't destroy them. He was upset. Lisa. Whom he loveth, he chasteneth. Right. Yep. Yep. See, I, I got I have kind of a problem with that. And the problem is is that we sit here as Christians and we read this and we have an understanding of what you're saying, and that's wonderful what you're saying. But what we miss is the part of God's wrath that turns and it infuriates people. It doesn't turn them back to them, to him, to him. It doesn't turn them back to the triune God. They kick and they scream, let us cast their cords from us. And he that sitteth in the heavens laughs. He has no compassion on those that show no remorse for breaking his commandments. That's where the problem is. And the thing that blows me away is the people that hate Jesus Christ. That blows me away as a Christian. How can you hate a man that could heal how could you hate a man that loved everyone on this earth and gave him everything he had? How could you hate that man so much, even in the Jewish community now? They want to speak about God and Abraham. Go to a messianic temple here in Reisterstown, Maryland. How many of them are Bible-believing churches that talk, that preach the, the gospel of Jesus Christ? And the intertestamental peace. And this is where this comes from. If you go into the, in the word Israel, into this section of scriptures, it's all about God's wrath against Israel. Then that's only a small part of the middle of Psalms when you follow the word Israel. Then all of a sudden, if you go further, which we're running out of time, I'll give you two more applications. You then see verses picking up in Psalm 78, verses 71, that go all the way through any verse that has the word Israel in it, all the way to Psalm 98, 3, God's long-suffering and remembrance of Israel, like Lisa was talking about. Jehovah provided for them anyway. Look at the long-suffering even today. Israel is still 
Israel is still substantive. It's there. It has a flag. It has legislation. It has an army. It has a defense. Where are the Philistines? Where are the Amorites? Where are the Amalekites? Where are the Moabites? Where are all these nations that rose up against Israel? Where are they now? Do you see a land of the Philistines anymore? They're all gone. And there, there, there Israel still stands. Will America still stand? America turns its back on Israel, which this, 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 this miserable coward that is in the White House, and one side of his mouth says, we back Israel. On the other side of his mouth just gave over $6 billion, $7 billion, and then $72 million to Iran to fund them that helps kill all these people. We're going to back Israel. He's a liar. And that's the problem. And we, we are to reprove and rebuke and name names the man and all the people around him. They're liars. We're supposed to be defending them and praying for them. That's what we're doing here this morning. God's long-suffering remembrance of Israel. The following, the youths great with young, he brought him to feed Jacob his people, and Israel is in, 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 in Israel his inheritance. And then you go to Psalm 80, verse 1. This is a psalm of Asaph. Give ear, O shepherd of Israel, that thou leadest Joseph like a flock, that thou dwellest between the cherubims. Shine forth. That's just two chapters after the wrath of God is pronounced on Israel. He says he will shepherd them. For this was a statute for Israel and a law of God of Jacob. He reminded them of his law. And even after he was wroth and he wanted to destroy them, he even came back over and over and over and over again and reminded them of his law and told them of the Messiah that's going to be coming shortly in, in so many hundreds of years. And that he would even, even after they murdered the prophets, what about Ahab and Jezebel? They murdered his prophets. He sent the prophets, they murdered them. And then he sends his son, and the Jews murder him. Look at that. I mean, isn't that incredible? And he still is long-suffering. And then we go, that's, that's the fourth application, is God's long-suffering and remembrance of Israel. Psalm 89, 18, for the Lord is our defense. And the Holy One of Israel is our King. He hath remembered His mercy and His truth toward the house of Israel. All the ends of earth have seen the salvation of our God. And that's Psalm 98, 3, after these these pronouncements of wrath are given. And then, as you close out and you look at the word Israel, here's, here's how many verses. Leading, starting in Psalm 103, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, 23, 24, 25, 26, 27 verses talking about and this is the benediction of the book of Psalms regarding Israel. God still loves Israel. It doesn't end God destroyed and annihilated Israel. He hates them and we're all basically out in the wilderness. or We're all on our own. He loves them. We're going to read some of those verses and we'll close. Lisa. He does. That's right. What did Christ say? He, he, he cried, Oh Jerusalem, oh Jerusalem, I would have loved you like a mother. Loved, uh, like a mother hen. Loved, loved the people. He, I would love you, but ye would not. Ye would not. You wouldn't even believe in me. Many of them missed the day of conviction. That's very sad. Lisa. Right. How many kings call their court and the people that are supposed to worship them? How many, he said this to Peter, how many kings have ever gone, and he is the greatest king, the most powerful king in the universe, calls his people his friend, calls them his children. He calls them, he, he calls himself their shepherd. How many, how many kings would do something like that? Where have you heard that? God loved Israel. Greg, could you read Psalm 137, I mean Psalm 103, verse 7? Jacob, could you do Psalm 105, verses 10, and then jump over to verse 23? Amen. Jacob.
And then Psalm 106, 48, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel from everlasting to everlasting, and let all the people say, Amen, praise the Lord. How do we know that that's telling us that He loves Israel? He takes them back to the deliverance. Every time, if you read in Scripture, that one of the prophets, the apostles, or somebody went back to the deliverance of Israel out of Egypt, they're speaking about the God, the God that delivered them. God Himself did it many times. He spoke it to Job. And he said, I delivered them. Remember that. That's how loving I am. And that's what he meant. And this is how it ends. We have the last part. God loves Israel. He reminds them of his ways. He reminds them of his law. He reminds them of his covenants. And that is why the first advent of Jesus Christ will fulfill all of this because Christ himself will perfectly remind the people of Israel about his laws. You know, the Lord didn't have, he didn't have to give us his laws. He didn't have to show us a way to salvation. He had no obligation at all to do that. But if you remember when Paul the Apostle, Paul the Apostle, if you remember, what's the first thing he did when he went into every town when he owned his missionary journeys? Yes, he went into the Jewish temple first. So basically, we're Teresa. Exactly. He went there to give them the gospel. And even, he even went in on the Sabbath day when it was still on a Saturday so that he could penetrate them and talk them. And he, he went and he prayed. The Lord told him to do it. And he, even though the Sabbath day was changed to the su Sunday morning because that's the resurrection of Christ, he would still honor them and he would actually still go do some of the purification rituals that they asked him to do just to get into their hearts. And that's how much he loved them. And then the last verse here, Psalm 149.2. Oh, Mary, did you ever hear? I didn't see you. I'm sorry. Israel, he gives them the time of day. The nation of Israel, he still gives them. He's long-suffering. Right. Absolutely. And it's, it's our job as Christians to reach out to them. There are still many Messianic Jews that are out there that truly believe in the authenticity of Jesus Christ. And it's our prayer. It's basically our, our, it's our witness to reach out to them. In our own business, we've had many come to our yard that come from Reisterstown to buy equipment, and we give them tracts. We pray, pray for them. We don't know how the Lord's going to connect those dots. He knows, but it's our job to just keep pushing forward and pray for them. Pray for Israel. We're praying today for Israel, and they're a wicked nation, aren't we? We're praying for them. hope they pray for us. But then we get down to this, this last part, and that's a very good question. Thank you, Marianne. This is extremely important that we consider the connection between us as Gentile Christians and while we are here praying for Israel. I think if we know that, I think it will help us when we hear, you think, this is, you think we just heard something last week? This is just the beginning. We're going to be hearing about all kinds of stuff coming up about Israel. Lisa. That's right. Right. And that's what we said earlier. There's a connection to God, to Jehovah. Right.
Right. Well, it's like in Scripture when Christ says it's easier for a camel to pass through an eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into heaven. What I love about that application is he has the power to make that camel pass through an eye of a needle. And all it seems very bleak to us, we know unequivocally that the Lord can do that. And getting back to Marianne and what Pastor Coleman always says about the, 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 the dots that the Lord connects together, we don't know. And it's our job to, to, to get the word out, to pray for them, and we pray that they come around. But it's really a really high number of, of Jews that are non-Messianic, that have no interest in Christ. I want to read this last verse, and then we need to stop. Psalm 149.2, let Israel, this is the last verse that has the word Israel, in, 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 or it's in Zion, actually, and Israel. Let Israel rejoice in him that made him. Let the children of Zion be joyful in their king. And that's the last verse about Israel. But you see the pattern. And the book of Psalms gives a real good lesson about the nation of Israel and how the Lord loves them. So let's finish with prayer um, this morning. We'll get ready for the service. And I'd like to ask, Greg, could you close us this morning? Thank you.